victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! We are back for 2022 here on FNR Football Nation Radio. The Oz Football Hour presented by our brand new partners, Global Institute of Sport. Kickstart your career in football business. Head to gis.sport slash FNR to find out more. A big welcome uh, to GIS, uh, to the FNR platform. It's a pretty unique offering they've got and uh their campus is going to be the mcg Lockie, how would you like to study at the mcg oh i mean i i currently study inside a very small building and uh, i've done most of it in the last year from home so you know my house the mcg <laughs> yeah no let me think about that one uh i think i'd go with the mcg and I'll, I will have one master's in football business administration, please, Mr. Mr. Server. At least well, that's what I assume you are because of the glass. <laughs> well, they are conscious of the current COVID situation, as are we, hence yes. the plexiglass screen that you may be able to make out between... And I'm glad you're conscious of those things, but my quarter pounder, uh, I've been waiting a while now. <laughs> Don't abuse Server For podcast staff. listeners, there's a plexiglass screen, I of that uh gis are aware of the situation too it's going to be online classes for the time being but when uh the covid situation omicron clears up just a little bit everyone gets their triple booster shots uh there's gonna be various touch points throughout the year at the mcg uh with guest speaker events and uh, networking events they've got an incredible network of people around the world who work in football very knowledgeable, and we're looking forward to integrating some of their experts into our programs in 2022. Yeah. It's a very exciting partnership, and we're very excited to be back in 2022 talking Australian football. Lockie, what did you make of Melbourne City 3, Western Sydney Wanderers 3 over the weekend? It's game of the season. Well, I, I've had to re-watch it because I initially was going to... And here's a good good advertisement for how good this game was, actually. Um, I, I won't reveal the name of my friend, but I had a, a, a friend who's, um, you know, I live in South Yarra, someone who I know who's moved into the area recently and uh, had a few things come up in over the weekend that uh, weren't very good. A few inconveniences with, you know, settling into the new place. And I hope they won't mind me telling this story because they may be listening. Um, no, no, I'm being dead serious. They may actually may actually be a, you know, Lockie kicked out of share share house after podcast control after after <laughs> massive throw under the th- I haven't said anything about what happened anyway they just they I was going to go in in the uh, the press box and and join mm. the, the journalistic elite and the look snoozily down on everyone else it's not prawn sandwiches it's party pies and sausage rolls which in the press is, box in many ways I would say that's better but some people are very jealous now I don't think not. I've ever actually had a prawn sandwich anyway move Must on be move real on nice um, I imagine I don't eat prawn sandwiches anyway. I had this friend come to me and say that they just needed a sort of, you know, they they wanted to get out of the house. Uh, and I said, well, I have two tickets to this game because I was planning on going in the box and these are free. Uh, why don't you come down? And not necessarily a person who is by no means a regular A-League mm. or football enjoyer necessarily, but they went to this game as someone with no little, if any, preconceived knowledge of what was going on. They knew the teams. That was about it. 
and they said that was perfect. Like that completely distracted me from what I was thinking about Wait, before. You, you mean to say you brought a third party to an A-League game and it wasn't a nil or draw? It wasn't a nil That's or draw. That's against like the laws of nature. I know. But the, but that that this like the point I'm trying to make is that shows you how much of like this was the game like of the season so far. That someone just stepped in, no preconceived knowledge and was like that was exactly what I needed. This has taken me to a completely different spot. Like I was worried beforehand, anxious, and that game was so good that I'm I'm feeling very much on a on a level footing right now. Football, so that's how good, good this game was. It, it was clears all your ails. It alleviated burden. Mm. And Stephen Ugarkovic has had his burden alleviated in the Wanderers midfield uh, by the returning Keanu Backus and Jack Robwell playing as a box to box destroyer. Did you? Uh, did you like the look of the lineup? Uh, we're not sure if it was Carl Robinson's or Labano Halitis or Garen, Gary Van Egmond's, but uh, it was w- it was a new look team. I would wager a guess whose it isn't, but <laughs> I think I think we all know what I might say about that. Um, really interesting in terms of a good th- this midfield lineup was a good lesson of a how Fotmob getting the formations wrong and the positioning of players on the team can make a big difference to your opinion of what the squad composition looks like and also just utilization. Like I'll be completely honest with you and maybe this is putting myself on fraud watch a little bit, but I walking down to the game looked at a midfield three of Stephen Ugarkovich, Keanu Bacchus and Jack Rodwell and thought that is, uh, that sucks. Ugarkovich obviously great, but in terms of the attributes that Rodwell and Keanu Backus had, I thought they'd just sort of get in each other's way a bit. But the way they were used, the way they were used was not consistent with that at all. So it was really interesting to see Jack Rodwell, who I know is more of like a defensively-minded player, um, be this box-to-box uh, outlet for Western Sydney and, and really, really, like, surprise me in terms of what he was able to do in this role, getting up and back. Like, I completely thought that he would be a player sitting back off the ball alongside Bacchus. But Ugarkovic was the deepest midfielder. And that was actually the best possible way that he could be used. And then surprisingly, Rodwell, again, let's not forget this guy when he first came in, we were talking about the idea of him being a centre-back option for Western Sydney. And he may still be, given what happened to Reese Williams over the weekend. But... Here he was being used not as a centre-back, not as a defensive midfielder, but as this box-to-box presence. And he was really effective. Really, really effective. So I didn't have high hopes for that midfield going in, but the way each of them were used individually, I think it worked very well. But, you know, Yugarkovic has to be said he was the uh, the key, probably the key to all of that looking as good as it did. Because when he has that space to just sit in front of a defense, pick his own passes. He is, you know, he like, he's a penetrative player, um, mm. both with the ball, like carrying the ball and, and playing it forward. We saw both of those as pretty good examples. Like, again, I'm reticent to use like the, the quarterback comparison, but sometimes he can just get the ball from, from the base of, and just make everything happen. And, Sometimes when he's played further forward, he doesn't have quite as much space to do those sorts of things. He's still a good player, but he doesn't have quite as much scope and much space to work with. When he gets from deep, he can just cause absolute 
chaos. And that's exactly what he did in this game, just shuttling forward or playing those balls over the top to, from deep, like the one we saw uh, for Agawa setting up the goal was just incredible. This is why I'm upset that the Wanderers have had such a tumultuous campaign and Ugarkovic hasn't stood out uh, in all of that turmoil until this match, really, uh, is because it's really damaged his dwindling national team prospects. I'm not sure if Ugarkovic is ever going to make his Socceroos debut, and I think it's a, a real uh, what-if for the Socceroos midfield because he offers something that none of the holding midfield options in the national team do for me. I agree, but I don't necessarily know that if that would change even if he was playing well. Yeah, just not on the, but then not on the radar. That's maybe just national team but, cynicism at, at play from me. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to me because he does cover a lot of ground as well. He's a hard worker. I, I, sort of I, the A-League answer to Brozovic. I agree with you that it is frustrating in a different sense, though. It frustrates me less on account of the national team prospects, but I can see that. But more on the part of Western Sydney. Like, this team was... a million miles away this performance even and again let's not you know lose sight of the fact that we are talking about a three all draw here uh, against a team that I, I don't think comparatively were at their best but they did look a million miles from the team that we've seen in previous weeks in this game so the pieces are clearly there like has it just been a case of trying to get them all working out who fits where like it, i don't know i think that's what's frustrating is that clearly there are players to make a really, really good footballing side here. Like, they are capable of something. And it might require dropping some of those bigger names or bigger profile signings. And that's mm. what we saw happen in this game. Noah Beanie dropped to the bench. Uh, no Hamed as well. He obviously came off the bench. But neither of those players started. Agal was up top as a lone striker. And it made such a difference. Mm. Such a huge difference. And so... Well, I think it's interesting to know who was in charge of making those selections. Ogawa playing as the sort of false nine was transformative for Western Sydney in so many ways, but mainly it was someone who was willing to drop and receive the ball to feet and combine with the midfield and also basically create gaps for players like Rodwell to run into mm. by dragging a defender out and then creating a lane where Rodwell could get into the box unmarked. He's a completely different player to Hemed. And I wonder where Hemed fits into the picture now. Does he come straight back into the team when Robinson is on the touchline again? And if so, I well, think that would be revealing. So, it, exactly. That's why I think it's so interesting is the changes when Robinson does inevitably come back. Like we know he's returned a negative test. So you assume that for the next game, the Wanderers play, he'll be back and making the decisions. If he hasn't already, hasn't been I mean, it may have been his, his starting 11 regardless. He might, he might just have yeah. been managing the team from afar, essentially. But if that, if that shuttles in the, the first game that he comes back, it will be, yeah, that will be very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because he's had more time to work with this team over the break. Yes, there have been some absentees from training and so forth and, you know, COVID shutdowns and it's been a tumultuous period as well. But they've had a bit of time out of the spotlight which I think has probably helped Western Sydney. It's been a bit of a blessing in disguise. Let's talk about Melbourne City, though. You mentioned they not being at their best. I think this draw has been treated almost as a Western Sydney win just because it ran so counter to to expectations. Where do you think it fell apart for, for Melbourne City in this match? Because as title contenders, as reigning champions, this is a team, an out-of-sorts Western Sydney side, they'd be expected to beat on most occasions. Yeah, well, I think... In the early phase of the game, it was it was defensively. Obviously, I think you know there were a few. 
it was pretty much first choice, but for Roston Griffiths playing also as, you know, deputising as a centre-back with Curtis Good not being available. But I don't know. I think it's, again, I come back to frustration because I think it was less to do with that but more to do with what was going on in the middle of the park over the whole of the game. Because once again, we saw a particular player come on uh, and make things look very, very different for Melbourne City. Yeah, did. But playing in a less than compatible role for his skill set. I, I would say despite playing out of position, Mark. And yet. And yet he scored a banger. Uh uh, yeah, I still don't think he's a midfielder, Marco Tilly. I think he's getting minutes in that spot out of necessity because Berengue's minutes have to be mm. managed and the so-called star-studded front three have to be accommodated. Some comments coming through on the Twitch feed. Uh, Loch Ness saying, as a Wanderers fan, it's so hard to look at the team lineup week after week, seeing people play out of position and the team have no strategy. Ogawa is 100% a winger and not someone that finishes a ball. Well, I thought his finish was pretty good for the goal. You know, I, I thought he played brilliantly up front. I don't think he's a conventional striker, but maybe he gives them something that Hemed doesn't. And, you know, the team being so but, uh, much but, more potent with him up front, I think, suggests that he should stay there for the time being. And I would argue that, again, I come from a very specific point when it comes to, to strikers and the kind of players that I appreciate or a certain preference. But strikers don't necessarily have to be that out-and-out pure finisher, scorer of goals. Like, there can be incorporative players uh, without getting regularly, like, without us being fixated on analysing a striker as purely how many goals do they have in a given season. Like, if you know what I'm trying to, mm. trying to get at. Like, if a player isn't conventional, like, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Celtic later um, when we start to talk a bit of Aussie transfer news, but Kyogo, for example, is not conventional. But the way he moves, sure, he still scores a lot of goals, but the way he moves brings others into play. And he would still be a really good player even if he wasn't scoring as frequently as he does. Um, Like, Agawa brought other people into play with his movement and still managed to to get a goal. I compare that to, to Jamie McLaren in this game, for example, who... You know, maybe it's a product of, of the difficulties that that whole front three are having collectively at the moment, but I don't think he offered a huge amount in this game. He, sco- he still should have scored a hat-trick. Yes, but... He's missed two open goals in that game. No, that's a good point. He yeah. offered Jamie McLaren things, and he didn't finish the chances that were presented to him, and that's basically what he stakes his reputation on. So yeah. missing two chances of that, like, those close range, and one of them he would have careened into the post... I suppose if he put his body on the line for it, I can imagine the self-preservation instincts kicking in. But the second one, just not getting purchase on it was... I mean, it was a good goal line clearance, but he, you got to score that. Yeah, but it's like if, 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 for example, if Agawa... It's, miss, a, it's beside if, the point. If Agawa misses the chance, chances that he makes, he still has a, posit, a net positive impact on that game because of what the other things that he's doing throughout the 90 in terms of his movement allowing Rodwell to come through and score that goal. Mm. If, you know, McLaren we know is is just that sort of out and out. When he's not doing that job, not finishing those tap-ins like you pointed out, what else is he doing for the collective, for the players around him? Apparently I, winning towering headers I, in the six-yard box unmarked. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would argue not as much as, mm. as what a goal would provide even if he didn't score. 
no, I, I agree with that. And I think strikers, it's easy to analyze them based purely on stats and output. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think it's always useful to... to I, I think we should view strikers through the lens of how we view kind of deeper midfield players a little more often, see what they actually provide to the whole structure of the mm. team as opposed to just but again, it's goals to do, and assists. It's to do with system as well like if you are playing in a team that you just that's all your striker wants you know that's all you want your striker to be that's fine but that's not the way western sydney set themselves up in this game specifically and agar was perfect for what they needed to do and how he incorporated the players around him comments coming through from eo young and Loch ness talking about ziggy gordon potentially being the reese williams replacement at center half and that being less than ideal more comfortable in a back three, potentially, Ziggy Gordon. I think I agree with that. Could Tas Mutakutis come in from the cold and finally be given a consistent run in the starting lineup? Because the one gripe with, I have with him is his recovery pace is less than ideal. He's mm. someone who gets caught upfield if you try and defend high up, high up the puck. He's really good on the ball. He's really calm bringing the ball out of defense. I think that's his best quality, and he reads the game well. Uh, but he does sometimes get caught when it's a one-on-one foot race. Maybe having um, a player like Katrumbus uh, next to him alleviates that to an extent. Uh, but to me, Murakudas still, despite that kind of glaring issue with his game, I, w- I would still prefer to see him get minutes as opposed to Gordon if it's going to be a back four. Mm. I mean, I, I guess that speaks more to just how big of a loss and how unfortunate it is that, that Reese Williams I suffered. I forgot they've got Mark Natter as well. Yeah, well, Ma- Mark Natter is another one. He, he did come off the bench in this game. Yeah, of course. But I, I think the fact that there is very legitimate concerns about all three of those, I mean, Natter's, it's more of just like the fact that he's sort of younger, I guess, but, you know, there are legitimate concerns around Mutakutis, Ziggy Gordon especially, just underscores what a colossal colossal um, miss Reese Williams. Um, I forgot about Natter. Actually, I'm no longer concerned about Western Sydney centre-back stocks. They've got loads of players they can try there. Maybe they, they, they might. It's true. I, I think Reese Williams is more of a loss for his leadership qualities as opposed to what he's bringing on the field because, honestly, he's been caught out a lot this season. He's made a lot of last-ditch tackles, but why did he have to make those tackles? You know, he's mm. he's been caught out of position quite a few times this season. And, you know, his, his attitude and his leadership qualities are second to none, but I don't think his performances have been that great. Sometimes when defenders, when you notice them as much as you notice Reese Williams, there's actually something going wrong. There's a, a breakdown before, you know, the recovery challenge. Um, maybe he's been bailing out other players for their mistakes as well, but I don't know. I have, I have question marks over Reese Williams' performances as well individually and, and whether he's such a titanic loss for this group has, has been made out. I know I quibble with that slightly. Well, maybe there'll be a, another round of murmurings in the, in the Jack Rodwell centre-back camp, but I, I don't think you could possibly do it. I think you'd be called a lunatic if you even attempted to do it after, after this most recent week. All right. I think we'll take a short break. On the other side, we've got Melbourne victory versus Adelaide to get our teeth stuck into issues both on and off the field in that one. We've also got transfer rumours to talk about. It seems like McGree to Celtic is all but a formality. How will he fit in in Ange Postacoglu's all-conquering Celtic side? Well, they're not all-conquering yet, but, you know, they're doing all right.
Expect to conquer. Expect to conquer. Dun, dun, dun. dun. And uh, we've also got a proposal in the works for an A-League catch-up round, which I think poses some logistical challenges the way it's uh, it's being mooted. It's a magician so, round. Yes. Uh, we've had Star Wars round. We've had Spanish round. Magic round in the A-League. Yay or nay. That's coming up on the other side of this break on the Oz Football Hour presented by the Global Institute of Sport. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top four? Stanley. It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. And Diamante again. Oh, he's done it. Unbelievable kick. There are a few players who divide opinion, such as Nick D'Agostino does. The man who's capable of such mishaps but such moments of brilliance and he produced one to give Melbourne victory the lead against Adelaide United unfortunately for the victory the game was not done there a superb volley from Craig Goodwin ensuring that the points were shared at Amy Park this is the Oz Football Hour presented by GIS the Global Institute of Sport to find out more about their football specific postgraduate degrees head to gis.sport slash FNR. Josh Parrish and Lockie Flanagan with you. Lockie, what did you make of that hit by Nick D'Agostino? It was, uh, it was a plum pudding, wasn't well, it? Well, I'll put it this way. What I thought of the hit was very different to what I thought of the game. <laughs> very, very diverging, uh, very diverging Well, he ideas. really lit up the contest after really uh, yeah. failing what, to switch you know, on the lights you know, for 84 in, in, minutes in, beforehand. In, in corporate land, when you know that... That sort of meme, um, and this is about the first 80 minutes or so of this game. You know when, like, someone has a really long meeting to explain all these technical business terms and someone replies with, like, this could have been an email? Mm-hmm. Like, this game, it could have been a mini-match. It could have <laughs> just been a mini-match. Like, we did not need the full shebang. Highlights, maybe even. Yeah, maybe. Just a 10-minute highlights package as opposed to the three-minute highlight packages that certain broadcast providers religiously stick to, which means you only see the goals. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I, I, I do want to complain about that briefly. Paramount didn't even include the Roston Griffiths handball on the mini-match. There was so... and that, that and I, Yes, there were six the goals. Thi- the one thing I didn't get to say about that game, and I know we're, we're diverging, we're going back in time here. The one thing I didn't get to say about that game is it. it's very rare that a 3 all draw game in the A-League feels like it very could have could have easily had more goals. <laughs> like there was, there was more left on the table. Yeah. It could have been 4-all, could have been 5-4... But we would never. If you watch the highlights, you would never know, because they only showed the goals. They didn't show the shots that got cleared off the line. They didn't show the handball that could have been a penalty. Could have been City down to ten. None of it. That's not hi- like that's not highlights. Just call it goals, like overnight goals, like the like Optus do. Yeah. Don't don't fawn me in, into thinking this is the only interesting parts that. Happened. Given the turnaround time involved. Um, and it seems to take a long time to get match replays and so forth up at the moment. I wonder whether the people cutting the highlights are actually watching the games in real time or if they're skipping back to the goals and then it seems like the mini-matches are often like extended well, just... Yeah, highlights. It's extended versions of the same goals they're showing I, in the I highlights reel just with more replays. I completely agree with you. They're not I, really giving us a sense of what's actually happening yeah, in the when match. I, when I watch used to watch the Premier League ones, I could get some of an idea of what is happening in the game, like the actual relationship between the two mm. teams. 
I do I do not like. There's been more than one occasion where I've watched a mini match in the A League this season in the A League men's, and thought I've learned nothing about that game. Just saw about twenty shots, mm-hmm. some of them good, some of them terrible. Uh, which you know to bring it back to Melbourne Victory and Adelaide United, not not the worst summation. <laughs> so a lot of shots. Sometimes one maybe of them, good. two of them really good. The rest of them not great. Not yes. great. 24 minutes of whatever does not a good mini match make. I think uh, no, Op- Optus no, 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 are leading no. the way in terms of how they, they cut their content and uh, Paramount can learn a thing or but two. But that's, that's a great point that uh, that is being made on the Twitch from Loch Ness. Like, our highlights, the highlights should give you a feel of the match. Like, obviously, mm. three all draw highlights are giving me a feel that it was an exciting game, but, like, there was another level in there that the average highlight watcher did not get. So do you reckon the Melbourne Victory versus Adelaide highlight reel should just be five minutes of crickets before they oh, actually get into the action? That one could have been just the goals. Yeah, that, that's, that one that's... could have been an email. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and this match could have been an email. But, um, yeah, it, it look, it needed... It, the last 10 minutes of this game was, was very, very needed, as was that goal from Daggers to, uh, to, to breathe life into the contest. But... I, did, I will admit that I did not watch this game live. I watched it mm-hmm. retrospectively. But I did check Twitter after this game was over. And I do not think I've ever... Like, there are a lot of players and coaches who divide opinion in Australian football. But I think Daggers is right into the upper echelons of, of players on whom people have extremely polarizing opinions. Because never before have I been on Twitter after a game and seen one tweet calling a player... Socceroos material that he is now the lead. You know, say what you will about Daggers, but he is now the leading goal scorer in the A League men's. You know, should we be pushing him into the national team? Uh, and then, literally, next tweet, fraud, fraud. Uh, that was probably your tweet. In fact, I didn't. Call I don't think you fraud. said fraud. But I don't use it, that word. It was okay. It was fraud. Whatever you said, it was fraud adjacent. And the people I call frauds are bald, and that's because it rhymes. Yeah. It was fraud adjacent. Like you, you were not you. Uh, you weren't heaping praise on him. No, I was. I was critical. Like you weren't saying that. He I think was I said a he soccer-oo. dropped a two out of ten for eighty-four minutes and then scored one of the best goals you'll ever see. But that, for me, like as someone who agrees with your assessment of daggers, like he is a really like an enigma to me. Mm. Like I feel like there's something with him that I don't understand that maybe I'm I'm missing because he will do in my eyes. Not like you said, not a lot for a very large portion of a game, but will score, like without fail. So, like he'll do something. Like I don't think he's a good collective player, but he is. He is good for moments. He's a player. But that of just moments. means he's a. That for me means he's an impact sub. He's a player he's of moments, that. but the difference with Daggers is that his lows are so low. He, he miscontrolling simple passes. Yeah, like he can be in a collective, like team sense, he can be. Destabilizing something. The thing that it's annoyed about him, uh, annoyed me about him the most at victory is the time it takes to set himself for a shot. Is not mm. up there with a professional well, there striker. Were, there was even one chance in this game. I think it was around sixty minutes. I can't remember who supplied mm. the pass from the left hand side. Not quite the same as what you were saying, but the ball was crossed into daggers, and it could have easily, like, even though he was outstretched, could have toe poked it towards goal first time, but sort of tried to control it as he was hurtling forward, ball coming in. Whip, and like, took this big, long, slow swing at it as well. And it was a last-ditch tackle. And yeah, it's like, and oh, it, great tackle it just from kind the of looked, Yeah, but it just kind of looked like he was taking a touch. Like, And he did exactly the same thing in the Perth, Perth Glory game. 
Um, mm. but, and these are both games that he started. He, he's much better as a substitute where he can come on and just sort of be a high-energy wrecking ball off the bench who's capable of just pulling something out of the hat. Um, and he's got he's always had these moments in him. You know, you, we think back to the Oli Ruse match against Uzbekistan, that qualifier where he scored after that slaloming run to get Australia to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. That came out of the blue. Like, he hadn't shown anything in the time he'd been on the pitch before that to suggest that he was going to make that kind of impact. But he just has these random moments of brilliance uh, that are really the core of who he is as a player as well as a high work rate uh, defensively and, you know, ability both in the air and with the uh, the trademark long throw. Those, those are kind of the there's, – there's a few attributes – that make Nick D'Agostino a professional footballer and the rest of them are like wildly inconsistent and frustrating. So I I just don't think he can start for an A-League team, let alone the the national team. I think to go back to, maybe this is a good point to end it on, to go back to our initial premise and complaining about highlights, full matches, you know, all that sort of thing. I think Daggers, the chaotic part of me, thinks if I watched only his best bits... Like if I just watch, if my knowledge oh, of the a- if my knowledge right. knowledge of the A League, uh, watching each week was I only watch the three minute highlight package from Paramount Plus, I would think that that Nick D'Agostino was one of the best players. Oh, he's if someone's but made a YouTube reel of him, it would be sick. But I'm cursed with watching the full game. <laughs> I, I can't stop myself. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's like like me around wedding cake. Like I'm sorry, I just I just can't stop. I have to have the whole thing. Um, and you know my my brother who was getting married was not not happy about that. <laughs> Let, let's sorry talk, sorry Tom. Let's talk about Adelaide. No Ben Halloran. He's off to FC Seoul uh, in Korea, which you know selling his soul to the the Southern Devils. Soul man. Yeah, there's plenty of puns you can make, Josh. Just yeah, get them out. Rubber soul. Yeah, yeah whatever. Okay, and I'm done. I'm yeah, done. I'm, okay. And um, with that, and and with that, leaves Adelaide in the lurch. Yeah. With the creative burden now placed on the young shoulders of Bernardo Oliveira, how how is this team going to be competitive for the rest of the season? Malk's on the door on the way out as well. He confirmed uh, to the official A League's pod today that he is in contact with the team from Japan, and that's going to be finalised this month, more than likely. Yeah, so, I think he's confirmed it now as well. And it looked like uh, Louis Dorigo suffered a pretty nasty injury towards the back end of the game. So their midfield stocks have plummeted. Yeah, because they were so glowing exactly. beforehand. <laughs> you know, but Isaias and One Day have been an incompatible midfield pairing this season. You know, they're too similar to occupy a double pivot for me. Um, I'm not a particular fan of both though, either of those players at, at this stage of their career. Let alone together. And I, I just don't see how this team is going to improve and, and create scoring opportunities with this lineup. I, I think they're going to drop off the radar massively unless I, they make some signings now. If I was in Adelaide, again, important caveat, let's see who they bring in uh, because there have been certain journalists linking them with a great many players. Um, whether or not all of those things come to fruition is a different matter altogether. But signings dependent. But if I was an Adelaide United fan, I would be very, very anxious uh, and I would be approaching the season to come, what remains of it, with great trepidation. Because put, put, it, mm. put it this way. What is what is Adelaide's biggest, other than you know, if you really want to get into the midfield issues, you can. But other than that, what is Adelaide's 
fundamentally biggest problem just from like even a surface level been midfield. Yeah, but but it's been scoring goals. Like yeah. if you were just like not actually watching the games, just yeah, the, yeah, the, but they can't, the they can't score goals. Is they can't score goals, and now they're losing their main like attacking you know third man run from midfield player in Stefan Mork. Yeah. So who's the the midfielder who the presence in the is, box? The midfield who are you know at least comparatively speaking is most capable of providing goal threat. And they've lost their single biggest provider of goal threat in the form of Ben Halloran. Both those players gone in a single window. Well, they're, and that they're was already most capable creator. Yeah, or, and and Cassini Yangi is out. Let's not forget. Mm. So they were already struggling without those two players, who are, you know, in different ways, important to chance creation for Adelaide, and they're both gone. I. This actually annoys me because this is going to be the excuse, um, the all-encompassing excuse blanket for with which Carl Vart can can cover himself for the rest of the season. And I don't think he's done a good job. There have been moments in games where he's failed to seize obvious opportunities. The game against Western United, not going at uh, Nikolai Topol standing against left and back. And happened again. Earlier. It happened again this week, though. Yep. The exact same. Not, Jay not Barnett. The exact same thing. But Jay Barnett, who is third choice, maybe you Fourth. can make three and a half. Yeah, I'll meet you halfway. Um, Choice for that that spot. Davidson, Negro, Broxham would all be ahead of him in yeah, the pecking order. Exactly, exactly. So he is well, well down the pecking order. Uh, and Bernardo did have a good game. They did have a good tussle, the two of them. Um, but it should have been from the get go, spamming down the right hand side, as it should have been in that game with Nicolas. They, they also Stanley. failed to isolate Barnett with. You need to draw players across the pitch and then switch the ball to Bernardo and then let him go Give at him Barnett one on one. when he's when he's one yeah. on one. They failed to get Bernardo one on one with Jay Barnett. But that's what I think. I, th- I think a lot of this season has been like I don't, like I'm starting to wonder maybe am I and the people that I speak to like are we the idiots? Because there's the these certain problems that Adelaide have had over the course of the season that have seemed very very obvious to to the outside world to those looking mm. in. Uh, the midfield pairing always being fraught with you know, danger. Um, or no, just, I think I tweeted like about it during their FFA Cup preseason meeting. I think, I think people were saying people were flagging this before they before Isaias had even officially signed. Yeah, like it doesn't. You know, he's a great cold figure. Doesn't seem particularly necessary. No, and it's been very obvious over the course of the season that that hasn't been working. Uh, the you know the the fullback the isolation thing we've been talking about is kind of microcosmic I think mm-hmm. um, Adelaide and more specifically Carl Viet don't seem to have learnt from routine mistakes and now as if that wasn't alarming and bad enough two of their best players uh, are out of here. Good comments coming through. E.O. Young saying uh, the Paramount camera coverage was disappointing too. E.G., you can never tell whether the Ogawa goal was offside or not. wonder how the hell VAR actually figured it out. I, I was confused about that because it seems as if they measured, measured the line from his back foot, whereas we've seen so much evidence in the Premier League of lines being drawn from the player's armpit, essentially, mm. and they're leaning forward at a 45-degree angle, and that totally changes the decision. So... I thought that goal was offside. I mean, there should have been a penalty uh, and maybe a red card for Austin Griffiths given the shot looked goal-bound, um, which was another glaring VAR error. But I, I wasn't convinced that the, that Ogawa was indeed onside and I didn't see a replay that 
that did convince me of that. I agree with that. Uh, he also says Daggers is a confidence player. He needs consistent minutes to fulfill his potential. I don't think he's going to get them at Melbourne Victory. You know, Melbourne no. Victory isn't a, isn't a place where you can find your feet as a centre forward. You need to be performing from day one. No. And Marjota is just a superior player, so when he's available, Daggers won't play. Yeah, you don't, and, you, don't, you don't find your feet at the Manchester United of Australia. No, you don't. That's not the way it works. Well, I guess you do, actually, because they've underperformed consistently. The Manchester United so is a great So in many comparison. ways, they are the Manchester great United comparison. of Australia. But uh, lastly, he says, Adelaide, old master Diego Castro to the rescue. I would actually love this. I would like it as well, but I don't – it fixes – How many some... old Spanish players can you get in one team? Well, how many visa spots do you have? <laughs> how many of them can Five? you naturalize? So they've got Javi Lopez one day, Isaias, Diego Castro, and who's their other foreigner? Or do they not have one? Maybe they didn't fill the spot. Mm. Um, we're trying to do this on the top of our heads, but um, I, we need more. We need more Spaniards so we can bring back Spanish round. Oh, boy. I don't think we need <laughs> Olé. to. I do not think that we need to do that. But I, I think he's – was he not waning a little bit as he was on – like, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but was his output on on the down as he as he did depart Perth anyway? It was hard to know given the situation there. I I would still think he'd uh, he'd add a point of difference to this Adelaide team. I agree, and I actually don't think that maybe his diminishing returns as he ages matters nearly as much as in a very high energy, lots of running. You know, let's let's call it what it is: P and P league is a midfield of three over thirty-five year olds really going to work. Well, then you you sub out. One day, and you stick Coletti in there, and you tell him to tackle people with no remorse, which is what he does. His his tackles completed per ninety is the highest in the league. I th- I'm pretty sure it was it was earlier in the season. Small sample size, of course, but Coletti is a uh, is a ball winning machine. He can't do much else, but he he wins that football. So honestly, you can find a balance if you're willing to abandon the SAS one day double pivot at any point. I, I was. But haven't we uh, just was, been talking about Carl Robinson? Uh, sorry, not Carl Robinson. Well, that he this does apply to him too. But Carl Viet not Carl's learning from Carl's an A-League mis- coaching, not learning less from iconic mistakes. duo. Not learning from mistakes. I, I don't know if he would do it. Well, I think we'll leave the A-League chat there and take another very short break. On the other side, we've got our bits and pieces. Magic Round, McGree to Celtic, Ernie Merrick back on the coaching merry-go-round. That's coming up on the other side of this break here on the Oz Football Hour presented by GIS. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. <laughs> Riley McGree, the Scorpion King set for a blockbuster move. He never played for Charlotte in MLS. They look to be playing 4D chess as they secure a £3 million transfer fee for his services. Also, reports are to be believed. Uh, But Riley looks to be on his way to uh, linking up with Ange and becoming one of those options in the Celtic midfield. They've raided the J-League. Now they're uh, they're raiding MLS for... uh, an Aussie talent who hasn't quite cemented himself in the Socceroos' fold. 
But this move would certainly increase the call for him to get him be getting more national team minutes. Lockie, you're a keen follower of, of Fitbar. Not uh, of Celtic, but, no, but yes. I'll, but it's I'll, of Scottish Fitbar. I'll accept the tag, yes. Do you think he suits the, the Ange remit? Well, before I answer that, I, I just have to wonder, like, is what Charlotte doing here, is this like the footballing equivalent of flipping? Like where you sort of buy a house you know, send the house out on loan, let it cut its teeth a little bit so it looks a bit nicer, and then sell it on for a profit? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. It's, uh, well, it's, no, it's not even flipping. It's more like just the, the, the Chelsea playbook, but on a very micro, yeah, the loan army scale. Except you don't currently participate in MLS. You're waiting until next year to make your debut. So. Okay, yeah. so it is more like flipping then. Yeah, it is a bit. You're not living in the house. You don't. No. Charlotte have not relied on Riley McGree's services, not once. And, uh, you know, job done for them, I guess. Uh, like Adelaide, hopefully get a is cut of the deal. Is it alarming that they need to turn a quick buck so quickly that they have to sell this guy on? Uh, I money? don't know if they have to. I think he's probably too good to play in America. You know, he's he's... Been very well received by Birmingham City fans. If you see the the online reception for Riley McGree, and this is fairly yeah. unscientific, well, I, this, it actually that explain that sort of informed my opinion of how well Riley McGree mm. was doing while on loan. Is that I, I will put my hand up and say did not watch a minute of him play in the championship. However, I looked at the tweet that said that he was leaving, and there was a lot of very sad memes, mm. a lot of like Stephen A. Staring at the window, <laughs> um, you know, uh, in, the, re- a, in the replies. So clearly, clearly that has impacted them quite a lot. Um, and interestingly, despite that, he has made, become a popular or an appreciated figure at the very least. Um, and Birmingham, despite the fact that he's been kind of coming off the bench um, mm. and been an impact player. And I, it's in that way that I think he could be a really good pickup for Celtic. I I think it's a, a a smart move for him. Gets him in in the you know national team frame where credentials are concerned. But I think I don't see him as a as an instant straight away starter. That said, I do think that despite the fact that he won't start, he has the potential to fill in a very important role in this squad. Um, mm. For Celtic, because one of one of Celtic's biggest problems, especially under Ange, and we've seen this sort of follow Ange wherever his footballing you know system goes, is against you know competitive teams, open fields. This club looks you know the 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 teams that play under Ange look amazing against compact, really really tight defenses, the kind who are fighting tooth and nail to not give up a point, you know, um, the Ross Counties of the world, shall we say. Uh, those, those are the, the the games where sometimes, and we saw it in the Socceroos as well, where Ange teams struggle to find that breakthrough. Um, and I think that Riley McGree is a perfect player to be the potential antidote to that. Mm. Because Riley McGree has become a master of, you know, what we were talking about with Stefan Mork earlier, the, the third man run into the front third, um, getting himself out of midfield and adding an extra number 
into attack, you know, forcing the defensive opponents to make a decision, you know, does the midfielder come with McGree or does he become the responsibility of one of the centre-backs? So he creates that disruption. Basically which, forcing a switch. Yeah, exactly. He, he makes them ask that question. And against teams that are defending really resolutely, I think that's a really valuable asset to have. I can just see low crosses being cut back to Riley McGree arriving late in the box and him scoring some important goals. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think there's another Celtic play. I think there's good attacking midfielders at Celtic. Don't get me wrong. I think there's two of them, in fact. Um, in Turnbull and Rogic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think they have necessarily this a player like this mm. uh, that can do what McGree could do in those phases of play. And so I don't necessarily think he's a guaranteed starter, he might be able to mold his game to be more of a collective fit because I think if that's a criticism I would there's a criticism I could make of McGree is that you know his ability his amazing ability to be that sort of player who gets out of midfield and becomes an attacking threat an extra number sometimes that can come at the expense of certain positional discipline mm. in terms of getting back um it's you basically know. playing like playing an extra strike. Yeah, it, it, it can, ends up it, it, it being because he's, he's so adventurous with yeah. his his runs forward. Yeah, what is he? When the team loses the ball, when the cross doesn't make it to him, he's got a long distance to cover before yeah, it he can, can. It can come at the expense of what he is able to provide uh, out of possession, um, and that's something that Celtic, when they're being threatened with transition football, which they definitely will and continue and uh, definitely have been so far. Um, will be a problem. But I think if there's anyone who can help him maybe mould that version of his game, get his football IQ beefed up a little bit, I think Ange could do that. And that's maybe where he could move into a starting berth. Um, so I don't see him starting straight away, but I still think he could be a very valuable asset and this could be a mutually beneficial relationship for both the club and the individual. Because even if McGree's not starting, if he's coming off the bench regularly and scoring goals uh, and being involved in comebacks, that's still going to put him in the national team picture, I think. The national team is where I Especially because wonder... he's the kind of player that Graham Arnold will froth. Yes, he he already does like Ryan McGree a lot. Um, I, the thing I, I am excited about is the fact that Kyogo Furuhashi, the Japanese player playing up front for Celtic, mm. is very much a drop-deep false nine kind of striker. And when you kind of create that vacuum up front, I think it is a very powerful thing to have a striker who drops deep and a midfielder who gets in the box. It's basically just an interchange of two positions, but I think it's really hard to mark. And we don't have a well, striker. Again, again, like we were talking about with the, the third man runs against a, a deep defense, it's just going to force those mm. two players who are forcing to defend the two of them to make that decision. Do they swap over? Does McGree get followed by his midfield marker or does he get passed onto the centre back when Kyogo drops deep? Like it's it's a lot to handle and I, I completely agree with you with the idea that they, they can or could function really effectively and I, I wonder how much or the extent to which that's playing into Andrew's thinking. With but where, where we get to the Socceroos is we don't have Kyogo for Ahashi. We don't have a striker in his mould. So I don't think McGree is as... Uh, compatible fit with the current Socceroos setup as he potentially is for Andrew Celtic. No, and but I'm if saying he's playing well for Celtic. One will justify his inclusion in the other. It though. justifies his inclusion for the Socceroos, but doesn't move the needle for the national team. Him being front centre, I don't know that it does. I don't think that it does. 
Josh, I'm just saying that I think that's what will happen. I don't not saying that I agree. You don't with think it's going to end up being happen. a good thing? No, we're, we're going to we're going to get into what do I think of the national team discussion and that I told myself I wouldn't do that <laughs> this early into the year, but but here we are. Here we are. But I think yeah, I think it'll be a mutually or has the potential given the assets um mm. that McGree has got and some of the deficiencies that Celtic have in terms of breaking teams down. I think this is a, a move that could work very well for be- both parties. Do I think he'll be the best Australian uh, transfer signing by a Scottish club in this window? Uh, no. No, I do not. You're just a Cammy Devlin. Well, no, not even Cam Devlin. I think I think Nathaniel Atkinson Ooh. has the potential to surpass all okay. three of them. Okay, all right. Um, I was talking specifically January signings. but Oh, January. De- Devlin, has, Devlin has done well. Um, continues to do well, but I just, I think that Nathaniel, uh, again, I could could die on this hill. This could be a famous last mm. words being uttered right Lockie now. hoisted by his own petard. Exactly. Uh, it's my least favourite petard to be hoisted by. <laughs> um, I I just think he has the attributes um, to really, really kill it as an attacking fullback for Hearts specifically. They play wing backs a lot of the time, yeah. don't they? Yeah, three four three. So he's going to be or three ob- five two rather. Yeah, yeah. So he, that's what I mean. Like he's going to be absolved of some of, not all of, but some of the the defensive responsibility that he otherwise might have to contend with playing in a four, where occasionally mm. he's been found out. Uh, unless Hearts, un- unless Robbie Nielsen plays him further forward, then no, no. But as a wing back, I think he could could maybe be the best of all of them. I really wish I had the Hearts music right here. Don't we Sound all? Sound the klaxon. Don't we all? H-E-A-R-T-S. If you haven't heard the Hearts Club anthem, it is an absolute banger. The, the uh, What is it called? It's the just called Hearts. The Hearts song. Keep it simple. Well, what, what a song. Uh, Melbourne Victory are actually asking what they should play at full time. They're going to steer away from, from horses uh, and from the sound of drumming. Yeah, I, I would have put forward the Hearts song because I know that Victory have got a pretty big following, but I think mm. historically speaking, I don't think a song about hearts would be very well received by Victory. So maybe <laughs> not. Maybe not. I, I wonder, what's what's the Victory's new song? That's got to be next week's topic. What, what are we going to choose? That's uh, one for our so Twitch Vic- audience. Victory have had some shocking songs. I'm a proud, proud Scott, uh, obviously from my voice. Uh, you know, the accent, it's, it's very subtle, very subtle. <laughs> Um, but I don't think there's been a worse song than Victory the Brave. I absolutely hate it. I hate it. I get the reasons behind it, but it just sounds... It's very AFL imitation. Yeah. I despise it. No one sings it. And I'm saying this as someone who has patriotic reasons to enjoy that song. So, like, I have a a predisposition to be biased towards this, and I still hate it. Maybe we could change it to another iconic Scottish tune. Like, uh... Flower of Melbourne. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> Rap. Yes, sir, I can boogie. Oh, there's the song. Okay, that's that's, that's not too bad. Not that's, bad that's shout, not right? bad. Yeah? Okay. Uh, speaking of Scots who haven't lost their accent in such a despicable fashion as, uh, as you, Lockie, um, Ernie Merrick has been in Australia since the 70s but still talks like he just that's left true. the hills of Edinburgh. And usually Frankston takes that out of you. Mm. He played there for those years. He has had his passion for coaching reignited by a certain trip to Scotland mm. uh, to visit Ange Postacogli, watch his training sessions. Oh, I was going to say, it happens when you go to Tyne Castle. But yeah. Uh, he, 
I think he actually went to watch Air United. I think he said in his piece. So I can't tell if that's a joke or not. No, I'm, I, because I, that would nothing invigorate reinvigorated my passion for football, like watching Edinburgh City in Scottish League Two play against Forfar. Uh, athlete, yeah, Forfar at um, at Ainsley Park. I've, I've lost the quote now. As uh, when I desperately well, anyway, it. he's interested in get in getting into coaching. That's the, that's the cut and thrust of of what you're trying to say. The news you're trying to give me. Is yeah, that right? back in the game. To he... which I say, drum roll, please. Altona Magic would like to announce the signing of Ernie Merrick as head coach for season 2022 in the MPL Victoria. There well, you go. They go through coaches faster There's than I headline. go through disposable masks. So, Well, and it'll be a very, you know, he's had his passion reinvigorated for coaching by going to Scotland, and then he'll go to Altona Magic, and he'll very quickly be deinvigorated. He did go watch Air United. I did I did remember that correctly. What a, what it was a sick his, human. That's, that's his team. What a sick human. His team. Oh. It was effort, high-intensity running, closing down, and some horrendous tackles is how ah, he describes so it. So I was wondering before, because he's born in Edinburgh, is he Hearts or Hibs? Neither. Neither. Probably probably best to steer clear Took of that. Took the, the road less travelled by. That's good. That means I don't have to hate him or love him. I can just continue to feel how I've always felt about Ernie Merrick. Rather Pretty neutral. Pretty neutral, yeah. The, he is uh, a former Preston Lions coach. He's a former Sunshine George Cross, now known as Caroline Springs George Cross coach. I think they're a pretty ambitious team if they decide to part with saying, Eric Facilities. We are, not, we are not going to see a faster reinvigoration and then subsequent deinvigoration for coaching than Ernie Merrick joining Altona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that could Who else? break Is anybody's else spirit. For a coach? I would love to see South. Love to see him at South. No, they've got, but they've got their they uh, seem Argentinian. to be sticking pretty firmly to old Esteban for better or for worse. Yeah, that's what happens Richer, when you, poorer. Yeah, that's what happens something when you get married borrowed, or something sign blue. a lengthy, you know, coaching contract. I would, I would love to see Ernie Merrick at South Melbourne. That would be amazing. And I, I do think the MPL would welcome him from with open arms. There's always a coaching opportunity. If it's not available now, it will be available about five weeks into the MPL Victoria season. If he wants, season. To, wants to join a uh, club with some very proud Scottish <laughs> Scottish connections, uh, I do I do know one uh, in the MPL too. I, I, th- uh, I think they're uh, they're well catered for. Imagine them. imagine imagine that a, a Scott Miller and Ernie Merrick co coaching dream tandem. team at Lang Warren. That would be that would be. Uh, you know, at MPL two level, an embarrassment of riches for Langhorne Soccer Club. Well, Ernie Merrick back in the game, looking for an opportunity. We'll see where it comes. I mean, maybe the A League will come calling for him again. You know, uh, Adelaide United would like to <laughs> announce the signing of Ernie Merrick. Uh, we we haven't had enough games played for any coaches to be in serious trouble at that's the moment. True. I think that's been a reprieve for everybody who was previously on the hot seat. And Western Sydney's improved performance is. Uh, just a bit of pressure on the uh, the absent from the touchline, Carl Robinson, for now. Uh, but we'll see how that pans out. Uh, looking forward to the games this weekend. We'll sign off here on the Oz Football Hour. Get ready for Radio Dub coming up next. Bakua Frimpong joining me in the studio as we chat to Sydney FC defender Jessica Nash about her A-League women's season to date. Uh, missed out on the Asian Cup squad by uh, by a hair, but she's been involved with the national team. So it's a very exciting time in her young career. So looking forward to chatting to Jessica Nash on that program. Coming up straight after this, but thank you for your company here. Our first episode back in 2022 on the Oz Football Hour, proudly presented by the Global Institute of Sport. If you want to find out more about how to kickstart your career in football, head to gis.sport slash FNR. Victory looking to build. Barbarous is quick. Is he in behind Topor Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarous.
Francis! Wow! Unbelievable kick. Come on here.